chapter 6, verse 10. Look there with me and hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we join Paul's prayer there at the end, or his exhortation for us to pray for boldness. Uh, We pray for uh, boldness uh, for me and for us this morning as we consider your word, as we uh, consider the gospel, the the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray for boldness uh, for preachers and for churches throughout our city this morning. We pray for a boldness to speak clearly and powerfully the gospel, and we pray the same for your church around this country and around this world, that your gospel today would be boldly proclaimed and boldly believed. And would you help us now as we come to these words? They are in some ways very powerful, uh, in other ways very strange uh, for us. They, they challenge our perspective, they challenge our assumptions about reality. And so would you help us to understand uh, what you're saying to us? And even more than that, would you give us the humility to receive this message, to trust that it is good and that it is powerful to equip and to change us? We ask for that and the ongoing work of your Holy Spirit this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not long ago, I heard the story of a man who, uh, whose his middle-aged crisis uh, was uh, to decide to hike the Inca Trail in Peru. It's uh, one of the most difficult trails in all of the world, and it, it peaks at the famous Machu Picchu. And so in preparation for this very rigorous hike, this man hired a personal trainer. And in that first session with that trainer, the trainer put him on an exercise bike at a very slow pace and had him do that for 20 minutes. And at the end of the 20 minutes, the trainer said to him, okay, you're done. And the man uh, wondered if he should ask for his money back. And he said, are you serious? And the trainer said, yes. If you want to be healthy, if you want to be relatively healthy, all it takes is 20 minutes of mild exercise every day. Now, 
if you want to prepare for that trail, come back tomorrow. And so the next day, as this man vomited uh, towards the end of a very difficult and challenging uh, exercise routine, the trainer said to him, now that is what it would take to prepare for that trail. You'll be healthy, 20 minutes of mild exercise. You want to prepare for that trail? This kind of work. This kind of difficulty. Uh, This conclusion here to Ephesians, this passage that we just read, reminds me of that second workout. This letter has put in front of us a glorious hike. The journey of living life in Christ as God's new humanity. Paul has called us to a path. And it is the path of love, love for God, love for each other, love for our neighbors. It is a path that if we walk it, we'll reflect the beauty and the power of God to all heaven and earth. But now, as he concludes his message to us, as he wraps up this letter, he says to us, that path, it's not 20 minutes of mild daily exercise. That path. It's a fight. It's a battle. It is extraordinarily difficult and even dangerous. And so if we are going to live in response to this letter, if we are going to live out the truth and the instructions of Ephesians, Paul looks at us here at the end and he says, you need strength. You need power. You need to be strengthened in order to walk this path, in order to hike this glorious hike, this journey that God has put in front of you. So two questions this morning about the strength that we need to live the Christian life. Two questions. Why do we need strength? How do we acquire it? Why do we need it? How do we acquire it? First question. Why do we need this strength that Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter 6? Well, it's not just because the hike is rigorous and covers a very rough terrain. No, we need strength because we have enemies. We face active opposition, Paul tells us. And these enemies aren't just our own inner proclivities towards sin. These enemies are external, they are personal, and they are spiritual. These enemies are spiritual forces, including the one called the devil, arrayed against us, arrayed against what God wants for us and what God wants to do through us. We need strength because we have personal spiritual enemies. Uh, To which many would sneer and say, how primitive. How unenlightened to believe that. But you do recognize, don't you, that the majority of people around the world, even today, assume the existence of antagonistic spiritual beings. You know that, right? Most people in the world believe that, assume that. So how very multicultural of us to dismiss the perspective of so many people. Two mistakes, I think, when it comes to Satan and when it comes to the demonic. 
two mistakes, C.S. Lewis lays out these errors in the intro to his book, The Screwtape Letters. He says, on the one hand, there is the mistake of disbelief. There is the mistake of assuming that your experience of the world, your tangible experience of the world is all there is to reality. It is a mistake to disbelieve that these forces exist. But on the other hand, the other mistake is to believe and then to have an unhealthy, obsessive concern with these two forces. And he says they themselves, speaking of the demonic forces, he says they themselves, they are happy with both mistakes. He says they are happy to hail both the materialist and the magician with the same type of delight. Because it plays into their strategy. These are the mistakes of nothing and everything. Nothing is the result of spiritual opposition or everything is the result of spiritual opposition. There's a demon under every bush. Both are mistakes, both are errors, and both are dangerous. So listen, Satan is not the source of every problem in your life. However, one of the reasons that living the Christian life faithfully in response to Jesus, one of the reasons that is so difficult is that we have enemies. We have spiritual, non-human actors who are acting against God's desire and design for us. One practical example from the letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Paul is instructing us to deal with our anger. Instead of nursing anger, he is calling us to repentance and reconciliation. So he says, deal with your anger. And if you don't, you will give an opportunity to the devil. You see the picture here? What does God want for us? What does it mean to live in Christ? One of the things he wants for us is compassion in our relationships. But instead of compassion, to nurse and to dwell in anger is to agree and it is to participate with the enemy. It is to participate in the strategy of the one who opposes God's design and desire for us. And so we need strength because we have enemies. But wait a second. The astute reader of the letter to the Ephesians says, wait a second. I thought this letter was all about an already accomplished victory. I thought that's what Ephesians was announcing. I thought that was... What Paul is telling to us is such good news that there is a victory that has already been won. And yeah, in fact, the, the, the heavenly places that verse 12 of our text mentions are mentioned two other places in this letter. Heavenly places are mentioned in chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. And there Christ is seated after his resurrection. Christ is seated in the heavenly places above all of these authorities and powers. And then it's mentioned a second time in chapter 2 verse 6. Where we who are in Christ by faith, we are in a sense seated with him in victory above all these authorities and power. These spiritual forces in opposition to what God wants. So which is it? Is it seated or is it fighting? Is it victory 
Or is it ongoing war? Well, biblically, it's both. According to Ephesians, it's both. Because this victory that Paul tells us about, it is a victory in super slow motion. Okay, it is a victory that was begun definitively in Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension into heaven. The victory has begun. It's a victory that is continued by his work in us, his people, his church. And it is a victory that will inevitably be finished when he returns, raises the dead, and makes all things do. You see, light has entered the world, and that light will triumph. But there is still a present darkness. Satan and his forces have been defeated, are being defeated, will be defeated. But as someone has said, the loser still fights. The loser still fights. And because we live in this tension of what Christ has started, but not yet finished, we have enemies. And we need strength. We need power for the battle. Which is sobering, isn't it? That is sobering. But you know what? It's also kind of exciting. Right? If this is true... This week is not going to be as boring as you thought it would be, if this is true. Robert Louis Stevenson, writer of great stories and books like Treasure Island, he was often derided by the literary elites of the time uh, who would criticize him because he wrote supposed juvenile adventure stories. And he responded to them and said, fine. If that's what I'm doing, fine, because I want nothing to do with modern man who sits out of the reach of safety, and there he yawns. Stevenson says, I have no interest in that kind of life. And he wrote those kinds of stories. He wrote those adventurous, adventurous stories because he knew something about himself and he knew something about us. We don't want life. In the tedium of safety. The reason we love those stories. The reason we love those exciting stories. Where good battles and triumphs over evil. Is because we want to be a part of one. We want to be a part of a story like that. And if you are in Jesus. You are. You are a part of a story like that. You belong to this great battle. Ephesians puts your life in cosmic perspective. It says that you, today, tomorrow, throughout this week, you are a part of this cosmic battle. I've said it before, this letter connects God's epic and our everyday. God is triumphing over darkness. How? In your mundane decisions and actions. That's how God currently is winning that war. Through you and your mundane life. 
you belong to the greatest adventure story. So don't yawn your way through life. Don't yawn your way through life. Wake up. Show up and fight. Show up and push against darkness. Push push against the anger in your life, knowing that to nurse that anger is to participate with the enemy. Show up and fight. Christ has made you a part of the greatest story ever told. But if you are going to participate in that fight, if you're going to participate in this great story, again, you need strength. You need power. Where do we get it? Where do we get that strength? Second question, how do we acquire this strength that we need to live the Christian life? Well, we have to play dress up. To acquire the strength that we need as Christians, we have to play dress up. It's not the first time that Paul has told us to do that. Again, in chapter 4, he says what? He says, put off the old self. It's a clothing metaphor. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Now, here in chapter 6, he expands that metaphor. And he says, not only do you need to put on the the wedding dress as, as the beloved of God. Now, you also need to put on the equipment of belonging to the army of God. Put on the wedding dress of being loved by God. Put on the equipment now of belonging to the army of God. And what is that equipment? What is this armor that he tells us that we need to dress ourselves in? Uh, Well, as is often the case, Paul's words here are deeply influenced by the prophet Isaiah. And in that Old Testament book, there appears often a warrior. A warrior who shows up, and this warrior, he is armored. And he is armored with things like righteousness, truth, peace. And who is the warrior of Isaiah? It's God. It is the divine soldier showing up. To rescue his people and the world. So do you see what Paul is saying? He is saying God's own armor. The armor of the divine soldier is yours. It belongs to you. And so dress in that. Put that on. God's spirit His presence, His word, His truth, His righteousness, His peace. Put on God's own armor. We have a a costume in our household. It's an Iron Man costume. And it's amazing to watch the transformation that that costume makes on my three-year-old son, Sam. He puts on that costume and it's way too big for him. And so he's still falling and he's slipping and sliding around. He looks like a cute little boy to us. But to himself, he's a super soldier. He thinks he's a super soldier because he has that costume on. That is the Christian life. The Christian life is playing dress up like that. It is to put on an armor that is way too big for us. And that armor is a way better suit than Iron Man's suit. 
Because it is God's own armor. It is His righteousness. It is His truth. It is His peace. It is His salvation. We dress in that. And that is what gives us strength. That is what gives us the strength to stand and oppose the powers that would destroy us. It is to play dress up in God's own armor. And that suit is not only a better suit than Iron Man's. It is also not a fantasy. And it's not a fantasy because of Jesus. You see, the pieces of this armor here in Ephesians 6, they come not only from Isaiah, they also come from earlier in this letter. Almost every word used in this passage is a repetition. It's a repetition from earlier in the letter. And all of these things that Paul tells us to dress ourselves in, all of them come to us as gifts through Jesus. Righteousness, peace, salvation. They all come to us as a result of Jesus' life, death, resurrection on our behalf. Remember chapter 4, once again, he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, triumphing over all the power. And what does he do as a result of his ascension? He pours out his gifts on his people. This armor isn't a fantasy because it is a gift to us through Jesus. And that's why one piece of the armor is the shield of faith. Because it is in faith that we receive these gifts. The gifts of righteousness, salvation, and peace. And that's also why this conclusion of this letter concludes talking about prayer. That's why this whole passage leads to Paul's instruction for us to pray. Because prayer is the most concrete, ongoing expression of our faith. Prayer is how we play dress-up. Prayer is the way, the means by which we receive and put on this power, this strength that God has given to us in Jesus. Prayer is our access to what God has promised to us in His Son. Two implications for our praying from this. Our praying, first of all, should be asking. We should ask for power. We should ask for strength. Paul models this for us earlier in the letter. He prays for the church that they would have the divine strength, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We should ask for strength for ourselves and for each other. Prayer should be asking. But prayer should also be awareness. Prayer should be meditation. It should be contemplation on what God has given to us. Prayer is an alertness, not only to the fact that we have an enemy, but way more than that, it is an alertness to God's overwhelmingly superior force and power which He has given to us in His Son, Jesus. Prayer should not only be asking, but it should be an awareness of what we have who we are because of what Jesus has done for us. Prayer is a way to be continually aware of the gospel. The message of God's clothing us with His armor. God pouring out on us divine power. So here's an image that helps me with prayer. Prayer should be for us like breathing. We should exhale 
our cries for help. We should express, we should exhale our needs to our Father. But prayer can't stop with exhaling. We must also inhale the resources that God has made available to us in Jesus. We must breathe out our need and we must breathe in God's provision for that need. We must breathe in this armor, God's salvation, God's righteousness, God's peace, His power for us to live the life that we've been called to live. Something that has helped me personally, and I learned this from a friend, is to actually connect that idea to the physical act of breathing. And here's something I do, and I don't do it as nearly as often as I should, okay? So I'm not holding myself up as some spiritual disciplined superman, all right? But here's what, here's what I do that has been very helpful to me, is I will take our community Bible reading, which we do as a church, and I will find in those passages one truth about who God is for me in Jesus. And this is simple. This is not like profound, systematic theology truth. This is simple truth, like God loves me. God is with me. God forgives me. And I take that truth, and I will take a moment, and I'll breathe. I will breathe out, and with my imagination, breathe out guilt and shame and fear and anger, And then breathe in God's presence with me, his love for me, his mercy towards me in Jesus. Listen, that's not magic. I'm not getting all new agey on you, okay? That isn't magic. It is one technique. You don't have to use it. That's fine. But listen, Christian, are you breathing? Are you Breathing? Are you habitually expressing your need and receiving God's gifts? Are you habitually expressing your weakness and receiving God's strength, His power that He has poured out on you through Jesus? Are you breathing? This fall, uh, some defensive back, hopefully from the University of Georgia, will intercept a pass and will run 80, 90 yards for a touchdown. And after the celebration, the, the television camera will pan to the sidelines and we'll see that athlete go to the sidelines and someone will hand him something. They'll hand him an, a mask, an oxygen mask. And that athlete will sit on the sidelines and he'll put that on his mouth, on his face, to try and recover so he can go in for the next series of plays. Ephesians ends by handing us an oxygen mask. Paul stretches out his hand and he says, listen, this is going to be a hard run for you. If you want to live as an individual, center point as a community, if you want to live out this reality in Christ, the reality that you are God's new humanity, if you want to do that run, it is going to be difficult. It is going to be dangerous. And you will face fierce opposition. But here, here is oxygen for you. So to breathe, take a breath. Yes, difficult, danger. 
But here, receive God's own power for the journey. Let's pray.